Men, you've heard it said before, marriage is a 50-50 proposition. Don't believe a word of it. We as men of God are called to give 100% of ourselves into that relationship, even if it costs us our life or cost us our job, or maybe even cost us the ball game that we wanna watch. That's what marriage is really called for with men. We learned a few weeks back that when a person is filled with the Spirit of God, that one of the outcomes of that, or one of the fruits of that, is that it creates a submissiveness within us to one another. Then we've been learning that in Uh, that we saw that in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter five. Then we learn in verse 22 through verse 33 what that submission looks like to one another in a marriage relationship. Now we saw two weeks ago that the wife submits to her husband's leadership. And we learned that that's a high privilege because it pictures how the church is to respond to Jesus. We learned that that is precious in the sight of the Lord, and we learned also that it carries a power in the life of her man, of what only God can explain what he can do through a woman who's walking the way he's called her to. And men, we're gonna learn today what it means for us to submit in the marriage relationship, and what it means for a man to submit, it means to lay down your life one that is driven by sacrificial, cherishing love for the sake and the welfare of that woman. And so let me me just lay out for you the structure of this passage so you can see what it looks like. I think I have it in a PowerPoint. We're gonna see in verses 25, is that gonna go up there? I'm not uh, seeing it up, there we go. In verses 25 to 27, he's gonna kind of look towards the future and what the sacrificial love does as it perfects the wife. By perfect, we mean mature and make better and better, not make perfect that, you know, that out of the perfection sense, but perfect means to mature, to make better and better. And so the sacrificial love that a husband gives to his wife is designed to make her more and more of what God called her to be. But then we're gonna see in verse 28 to 31 what I call a provisional love because your wife is one with you. By provisional, by the way, I'm talking about making, providing the things that she needs for life. So when I'm using the word provisional, that's how I'm using it, to provide the daily needs of what your wife needs. And so one aspect of our love helps our wife as we look forward to the future become more and more the woman God created her to be. The other one is in the today and the now in the very practical things that are needed day by day. And it's interesting as you look at the first one here, sacrificial love to perfect your wife. There's a purpose to this. There's an end There's a direction it's going. Look at the text here in verse 
25, he calls husbands to give himself up at the end of verse 25. That's that sacrificial love. So that, we just look at that conjunction start. There's a purpose for this. There's an end goal for this. There's a place where it's going. And so he sacrifices so that something might happen. Then you look at verse 27. That again, it kind of, he gives you one purpose here. Here's the sacrificial love for this purpose. And when this purpose is accomplished, then this purpose can be accomplished. That's what we're going to see in the sacrificial love when it comes to the purpose. So there's a purpose to that love. There's an end goal to that love. But when we look at the provisional love, there's a reason for that love. The reason is, is your wife is one with you. Look at back at the text, if you would. Verse 28, husbands are told to love their wives as their own bodies. And then we go into verse 29, for no one ever. Verse 30, because we are members. Verse 31, for this reason. So homiletically, I wanted to really make this real nice, smooth, you know, sacrificial love too perfect, provisional love too. But I couldn't do that because that isn't what the text says. So the first one we're going to see gives us a purpose for our love, a future look of what it's trying to accomplish. The second one is giving us a reason why we should love our wives with their daily needs uh, because of what's already true. You following me? That's the big structure to the passage we're going to look at. Let me say one more thing before we start, and that's this. If you look up in verse 23 as he's calling the wife to submit to the husband, says this, for the husband is the head of the wife. We briefly touched on that in the message that we spoke about with the wife submitting to the husband. And um, as it says, as Christ also is the head of the church, Head talks about the position of authority, the leader in the relationship, the structure that God has set up into the marriage relationship. But this is what's interesting. Verse 25, really through the rest of the chapter, primarily through verse 31, but he's speaking about the husband's role. And it's interesting He doesn't further develop the headship and tell, well, this is how you lead and this is about your authority and all this. He develops love. And so guess what we learn from this? A husband's love is not a dictatorial love. It's a servant leadership. And it's a love, it's a leadership that is really designed, and when I think of it, it's designed that my leadership decisions are made for the sake of this woman and what's best to help her become all the woman God's created her to be. And so what we're learning here is that our sacrificial, cherishing love is is the way that we lead our wives. We lead as servants with love. And helping them become all the person God created them to be. So that's kind of the big picture of the text. Okay, let's jump into a little bit of the details and then talk about how it works for us. Let's start with the sacrificial love to perfect your wife. That's what we're going to see here in verses 25 
through verse 27. We already saw that the sacrificial love has an end goal to it. And the end goal in verse 26 is that the husband can cleanse his wife by the washing of the water of the word. Now we're gonna look at it in a second. I'm just giving you a big picture and we're gonna read it and you're gonna see it. Uh, but what we're gonna see in verse 27, the purpose of this love is so that he can minister to his wife the word of God to help cleanse her. And the reason he wants to do that is the that in verse 27. Remember sacrificial love so that he can cleanse her with the washing of the world. Why does he want to do that? What's the purpose and the angle of that? So that she may be presented to Jesus someday in all of her glory. No spot, no wrinkle. The spot, I think, is the stuff that comes from the outside of the world upon us. The wrinkles are the things that come from the inside, from our flesh. And so there's that ministry of God's word of a husband to his wife out of the context of sacrificial love so he can help her become all the woman that God's created her to be by removing all the influences of the world and the flesh so that when he stands before Jesus, he might present her in all her glory. And the byproduct of that is the less of the flesh and the less of sin and less of the world we have on us, the better person she'll be in this world. It's not just for the future. The benefit is for today in helping her become all the woman God created her to be. So as I read this, I want you to watch for that. Sacrificial love. Why? So he can cleanse her with the word. Why? So she can be ready to be presented before Jesus and become all the woman she was created to be. Listen as I read in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right there he says what kind of love we're supposed to have for our wife. It's supposed to be the same kind of love that Jesus had for the church. One that he laid down his life for her. Why? Verse 26, so that he might sanctify her Sanctify means to purify. It's removing the sin and making more like Jesus. That's the heart of what sanctifying is. So he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. The agent for cleansing here is the word of God. Jesus said, Father, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. And so one of the sanctifying agents that God uses in our life is his word. And the husband's ministry is to cleanse his wife with the word of God. Why? That's what verse 27 tells us. That he may present to himself the church. And remember what we learned last week, this is first and primary about Jesus with the church. <laughs> Secondarily, we learn lessons as husbands and wives that he may present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Jesus is working in, by the way, this is one of the importances of coming to church on Sunday morning and giving your heart fully to the sermon. We want it always to the worship, 
talking about the sermon. Now, this is why you want to get into God's word every day, because guess what God does? He cleanses us through his word. And with his word, he's something, he's taking away the spots that the world is getting all over us, and he's removing the wrinkles that come from the flesh, and he's making us more holy and blameless in the sight of God. And so the ministry of the word of God is so important as the husband is working to prepare his wife to, so that when she stands before Jesus, she would have, you know, guys, God is using our sacrificial love and our ministry of the word to prepare our wives for, now listen, this, this guy's hear this. This is, this is the role God has given us. He's using our love to prepare our wives to stand before Jesus someday and to help her become all the woman that God has created and called her to be. That's big. And, and you know what? I learned the key to this many years ago. And then that that's this. Kim and I were being discipled by a leader in the church here. We approached him and said, hey, we want to grow in Jesus. Would you help us do that? I encourage you here, do the same. Who can you look at that's further down the road and say, meet with me and tell me how to get where you're at and how I can help others get to there as well. I just encourage you. I'm gonna keep on saying this until Jesus takes me home. You need to take the step, find somebody. It puts our growth on steroids. And we went to a leader and said, hey, we wanna grow. Would you help us do that? And I remember as we were meeting with him and Kim and I were being very blessed and enriched as went every Monday night to his house and, and was learning more about walking with Jesus. And I remember one night talking to him. I said, you know, I don't feel my wife is responsive to my ministry of the word to her as I'd like to see it be. I mean, I was a Moody student. Come on, man, what a blessing for a wife. I mean, be married to a Moody student? Come on, does it get any better than that? Sit down, baby, I'll give you a sermon every night before you go to bed. Aren't you a blessed woman? That's kind of how I approached it. I certainly missed the whole ball game, but you know, I really thought she was so blessed to have a Moody student for a husband that kind of knew God's word and can teach her all this stuff, but she didn't seem to respond to my teaching that great with that. And I'll never forget what this guy told me. I want to remind you men this. He took me to verse 25. Look back at your text. He gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Did you notice the sacrificial love precedes the ministry of the word? Aren't you, I mean, if you feel somebody doesn't love you, are you going to listen to what they're having to say? If they're just there to do their thing and teach their Bible and beat you over the head or whatever? But if you say somebody really loves me, and all of a sudden the wife, you know, and I, it really changed the direction because I said, I got to establish for my wife my love for her and my sacrificial love for her and the benefit and, and establish without a doubt that I love her and I'm living and everything I bring to her is for her welfare. I'll tell you what, that changes everything <laughs> in the way that a wife will respond to her husband when he brings something from the word of God. 
And that was a big lesson for me to recognize in this passage as we see men, when we love our wives like Christ loved the church, when we lay down our life for our sake, when our leadership is a servant leadership to do what's best for her, that opens a platform, a door for a wife to respond to the leadership of the husband. And I'll tell you what, guys, it makes it a hundred times easier. Guys go, oh, my wife's not responding the way. Well, you know what? Are you loving her the way? You know what? When you love a wife like this, responding really isn't all that hard. <laughs> it's a joy because now you're doing the dance of marriage in the way that God created it to be. Men, I have a burden that God makes us those kind of men just because I like to say this, men, we got to do our verses. Women, you got to do your verses. Today I'm speaking to the men. My burden is for men. I'm a man. This is where I traffic. This is what I pray about for myself. I'm praying for you men that God would make us men that love our wives as Jesus loved the church. And then when we do that, we can wisely and sensitively and at the right time and in the right way and in the right proportions bring God's word to her when that may be necessary as she brings God's word to me when necessary that can help remove the spots and the wrinkles to help her become all the woman God's created her to be. So men, the first thing we have to recognize when we say, well, what's my job as a husband? Not just to love your wife, sacrificially love your wife to the degree that Jesus sacrificially loved us and even gave his life for us. Then he moves on in the passage in verse 28, and it's interesting, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. The word so, thus, in other words, in light of what we just heard, what do I do with that? Well, here you go, husband. So in light of everything you just heard, you, ought to also to, you also ought to love your own wives as their own bodies. This is what I call a provisional love because the wife is one with you. She is one with you. We need to recognize that. Love them as their own bodies. Guys, we gotta realize that our relationship with our wives is so real. <laughs> it's so intimate, it's so close. That oneness is so real. He doesn't say love them like their own bodies as if this is an illustration. <laughs> Love them as your own body because she is your own body because you really are one. It's not you're just like one, but you are one just like the human body, the head, and all the rest of the members are one complete body and the husband being the head, the wife being the rest of the body, you're to love her as if she's your own body so when she's hungry, you feed her. When she itches, you scratch her. You follow me? and fill in the blank with whatever that need is. We provide right now what she needs because she really is one with me. Watch for that again as I read this. So husband ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his own wife loves himself. It's that real, that oneness is so real that when you love your wife, you're actually loving yourself. That's how, that's how real the oneness is that we're in in marriage. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And then he uses Jesus as an illustration. He starts with the illustration of the body. Now he's moving to Jesus and he said, just as, uh, just as Christ also does the church. Why? Because we are members of his body. <laughs> the same way we are members of the body of Christ, Jesus is the head and we are the individual members of the body. There's a oneness with Jesus that we have when we're connected with one another. The same thing is true in marriage and he's using Jesus now as the illustration. Husband, you ought to love your wives as your own body because she really is the members of your body. She really is. You two are one. It's real. It's close. You may not see it. You may not feel it, but it's real. And he says here, that's the way we're to love our wives. That's the reason why we love Mother Practical Love is because she really is part of me. Remember what he says at the end of verse 28? He who loves his own wife loves himself. Guys, you hear that? When you are loving your wife, you're loving yourself. There's two reasons for that. One is the oneness is so real. It is so close it is so intimate that when you love your wife, you're loving yourself. And I think there's another aspect to this. Here's a practical outworking of it. He who loves his own wife loves himself is basically as you are loving your wife, you're loving yourself, you benefit from it. Let me tell you why. Let's go back to the human body. What happens if you don't treat your body right? What happens if you don't feed it right? What happens if you don't exercise it right? What happens if you don't take care of the infection when the infection comes? You find what happens, what happens? Your body starts to fall apart and your body becomes your enemy rather than your helper and the instrument that you want to live life through. And the same thing is true with our wives. Guys, if you don't treat your wife right, it's going to come back and hurt you. If you're impatient with your wife, if you're unkind to your wife, if you, I'm sorry, I had a couple words I had to look at to help me out. Critical. Man, I can't believe how many men are critical of their wives. You gotta be kidding me, guys. Insensitive, impatient, unkind, critical. What do you think's gonna happen to that wonderful woman? This woman whom you've been placed to remove the spots and the wrinkles out of, to love sacrificially, help her become all the woman she's created to be, you're destroying her heart. And you're crushing her. And rather than being that beautiful flower that opens up and bears the fruit that you both can enjoy, now you're causing your wife to be that broken person that never can become the person that God created her to be that both of you can enjoy together. 
Guys, unfortunately, I've seen that happen too much, and that's why I'm burdened about this message. Guys, you're hurting yourself. You're being foolish. You're wounding your wife, and you're hurting your own self and your own joy and your own blessing in marriage as much as you do when you don't take care of your body. I'm going to say something here. I didn't know if I'd say it, but I'm, I'm going I'm to go ahead and say this. Give us a little grace, ladies, because I, I'm going I'm to say it in Pat Peglow language. Men are basically relationally dumb. <laughs> now, most guys get that. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, I'm going to give you a biblical reason for that. How does that sound? A biblical reason for men being relationally dumb. What did God do with Adam when he created him? He gave him a task. And he planted the man in the garden to take care of the garden. So what did man know from the beginning? A task, a work, a mission. What was man cursed with? The task. And now this task is going to engulf your life and you're going to be cursed and you're going to be bringing forth fruit from this by the sweat of your brow. And so men are deeply connected with the task. You add on top of it that you notice some of you women are frustrated because your men seem to be passive. Most men are passive because you go all the way back to the garden. And where was Adam when Eve was being tempted by the devil? He was right there with her, but he was silent, not saying a word, letting the enemy come in and, and deceive his wife and cause them to eat of the fruit. But guess what? God holds man responsible for that sin. Sin entered through Adam, not through Eve. And men, our passivity uh, in our spiritual leadership, our getting all wrapped up in the tasks because somehow that's what we were made with is something that really fights. And how, how interesting that what does God say to men? Love your wives. <laughs> now it's interesting, women are never told to love their husbands. They're told to respect them. Now women, what happened to you when you were created? First thing woman got was a relationship. God created woman and brought her to Adam. And so what does woman know about the relation, you know, about life? It starts with relationship. And when woman was cursed, where was it related? It was related to the relationship with her husband because your desire will be for him, but he'll rule over you. And there's a conflict with the wife's desire to control the husband. And so what does God tell the wife? To submit the very things that go against our very nature <laughs> are the things that God calls man and woman to do. If there's ever a time we need the Spirit of God and to walk by the Spirit moment by moment, step by step, and relying upon Jesus to do a miracle, it's in the dance of marriage. Because what God has called me to do doesn't come naturally to me, whether you're a man or a woman. And we need Jesus to walk with us there. And all that's to say is this, guys, when you don't love your wife as Jesus loved the church, you don't love them as your own body, you're not only hurting your wife, 
you're hurting yourself. So how do we apply all this? You know, when it talks about sacrificial love, basically that means, you know, when Jesus gave himself up, what did he do? He died. Husbands, we are called to die for our wives. If necessary, we need to die for our wives. We, our whole disposition as men from day one needs to be, I'm ready to step in front of that bullet and take it for her if it comes that way. But here's the reality, guys. Probably one out of 10 million men is ever gonna have to stand in front of the bullet for their wife. It's hypothetical for the most part. <laughs> I'm willing to die for you, Kim, but you know what? I don't see no trouble, so would you bring me another pop out of the refrigerator and some chips so I can watch the ball game this morning? I mean, that's the way most of us men handle it. Yeah, I'm willing to die for you. We, we know we're in the safe zone, though. <laughs> can I tell you what's just as real in verse 25 when he says gave himself up for her, and which is much more difficult is to die for her daily to die to myself, to die to my ego, to die to my pride, to die to getting my way, to die to getting my desires, to die to having my rights, to die to my reputation, because that's what it means to lay down my white life for my wife on a daily basis. I'll give you a couple pictures of that. You come home from work, you're worn out, you have nothing left. But something happened to your wife that day that she really needs to talk to you about. You know what it means to lay down my life? You know, she's been waiting for you to get home all day because this thing happened, it's big, I really gotta talk to my husband. Um, and you know what? To lay down my life at that time means even though I'm tired, even though I'm exhausted, I'm gonna trust Jesus for all it takes for me. He, what, what, he's always enough. He's more than enough, even when I'm tired and exhausted, <laughs> to give me what I need to say, baby, bring it on, what, what, what's going on? What if she's sick? <laughs> Laying down my life means this. I'm gonna lay down my plans and my schedule to be able to take care of my baby with whatever she needs. And if it means I gotta clean the house, I gotta make the meals, I gotta pick up some of her responsibilities, I gotta run to the store, I gotta miss the night out with the guys, I gotta miss that ball game, whatever it means, I'm gonna lay down my life to care for my sick bride. Now here's one that has been real to me more often than not. It kinda goes back to the first one you know how many times I've been watching a ball game I wanted to watch? And all of a sudden, Kim wants to talk to me. Now my flesh says, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> now? Really? And then the spirit says, Pat, listen. And I'm gonna tell you what I do, guys. I will turn off the game. Kim says, oh, you don't have to turn it off. I said, yes, I do, because I really won't give you my full attention. Because you know what it's like. Okay, go ahead and talk, baby. And, you know, your eyes are kind of on the ball game, and you're kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I heard what you said. Sure, sure, sure. I turn off the TV, and I say, baby, bring it on. You know, guys, it could cost us 
our favorite hobby, our favorite game. Just, it's, just, it's just as practical as this. I know a man who was offered a promotion and he laid down his life for his wife by not taking that promotion for this reason. Because he would have had to work more time with a woman that was attractive to him and who was too friendly to him as a married man and he knew to put himself in that position would be very vulnerable for their marriage. So he did not take the promotion so he could love his wife as Christ loved the church. Remember when I said it could cost you your life, it could cost you your job, it could cost you the ball game. Laying down our life for our wife is very real, guys. It's what God's called us to. And I'm going to tell you about my all-time hero. This, when I, you know what, uh, what? Every time I hear this story, my heart is like, wow. His name was John Robertson McQuilkin. He was the president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary for 22 years. He married Muriel. Uh, they raised six children together. They served in many different uh, capacities in the ministry. They were actually even missionaries for 12 years to Japan. And then the tragic news came that she had Alzheimer's. And it was starting to begin a change in who she was. In the initial years, John would go to the office just a half a mile away from where they lived because he had responsibilities to fill but his wife was beginning, her health was beginning to wane her mind. And when he would leave, Muriel would be full of anxiety and tension, sometimes actually full of terror. The only time she was comforted and at peace was in the presence of her husband. So what she would do when he would leave to work after a while is she would begin to walk to the office just to be with her husband because the anxiety and the tension, the terror was so big, she needed the comfort of being into the presence of her husband. Sometimes up to 10 times a day she would go over to the school. And one night when John was getting her ready for bed, he noticed that her feet were all bloody from walking to school. He knew a decision had to be made. Um, the school needed him 100% and his wife needed him 100%. As a matter of fact, the last phrase she spoke before she lost her ability to speak was, I love you. And so John had this decision. Man, he, he was about eight years out from the time he planned on retiring. The ministry was thriving. The school really needed him. Opportunities were there. Things were needed. And yet his wife needed him. And he made the decision to resign his position at the school to devote himself to his full-time care of his wife. I'm going to let you hear in his own words when he told the school, they, they recorded it. I, I didn't even realize that until I was preparing for the sermon. I'll let you hear in his own words what he said. 
I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me, and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I have said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. I think you can see why I said he's my hero. That's what I want to grow up to be. I hope I can love my wife that well. Not just when that time comes, but coming up to it. My prayer is, is that every man at Moraine Valley Church, every husband, will learn to love their wives like this man did. I've asked Ed Sarna to close us in prayer. Come on up, Ed. Ed has invested in so many marriages, uh, so many young people preparing them for marriage, uh, so many troubled marriages. Brother, I love you and appreciate your ministry. I couldn't think, when I thought, who pray? Ed Sarna was obviously the choice because I know your heart for men to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Would you lead us in prayer for this good brother? Men, if you feel a little bit overwhelmed, good. Because that's where you should be. Uh, let us pray. Father, I thank you for this message. I thank you for Pat's heart, which is aligned with my heart which is in line with your heart. Lord, many uh, who heard this message this morning uh, are probably a bit discouraged. Lord, may we recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. I ask, Lord, that your spirit would be active in moving, that it would move into the very corners of our existence, that it would push out the dark and the decay and open us up to possibilities. And there are possibilities. There are many a marriage, Lord, that are struggling, that are suffering, some that are even dead. But my Lord, who raised the dead, can resurrect a marriage. So Heavenly Father, I do pray that in the midst of despair and discouragement, you would make your presence known. I pray, Lord, for men that uh, starting today, the first day of the rest of their life, the first day of the rest of their marriage, that you would give them hope 
and that hope would be in you. I pray, Lord, that we would loosen our grip on the things that we hold important that are not important to you. That we would love our wives in a capacity that is far beyond what we ever thought possible. That we would give of ourselves, and if it meant a ball game, or a dream, or a possession, or our time, we would be willing to lay it down at the cross on behalf of our wife and our children. Lord, I pray that men would know they're not alone. I pray, Lord, for couples that are struggling, that they would seek someone to walk alongside them, to maybe point them in a direction. So often we think we're so far away from where we should be, and yet, Lord, it may be a word or an action that would allow somebody to get closer to what you have called us to be. So, Lord, I pray that. And, Lord, I echo Pat's comments in regards to our wives. Grant us grace. Help us to be the men that God has called us to be. Be patient. But, Lord, I do pray for the men. I do pray, Lord, that you would just help us to be all that we can be in you. Marriage is a beautiful gift. It's representative of your relationship with the church. I pray that we would recognize the importance of that. Lord, if we love our wives in the manner that we should, we could just live in peace and growth and harmony. So, Heavenly Father, as we go our separate ways this day, I pray that you would go before us. Help us, Lord, to be who you have called us to be, men of God. And I pray these things in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.